The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. Welcome to the Doctor Who pod, a look back on classic Who, new Who, and everything else you can think of associated with a little alien travelling around time and space in a blue box. And today, Dan and I, your two hosts, are two very, very hot, sweaty, smelly men. It is gross and sticky in the UK, Dan, is it not? Coming to you live from Satan's asshole the day after curry night. It's the Doctor <laughs> Who pod. It is fucking mafting, and I'm dying. But that doesn't matter because we get to talk about a special this week. It's not my pick. It's not your pick. So we're going to soldier on for the good of the people because we're men of the people. So I don't know where I'm going with this. That's what's happening. Um, no, I think that's going to happen a lot this week. There's going to be ramblings and stuff. Well, I mean, that happens most weeks, to be fair. But I think this week is going to be equally, uh, well, extra. Uh, so I'm doing it even now. don't even know where I'm going with this sentence. <laughs> good, luck, good luck later on when I try and explain the principles of antimatter. I've got no... Yeah, you, you put a tweet out about that, and I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll leave that all up to you, and I'll just... Uh, try and be educated by your good self as you um, run through all that information. I'm going to give the theory of black hole singularities a miss because yeah. I read that this morning. I thought I had my head around it. I tried to think about it earlier and my brain just went, what? <laughs> but yeah, so I've got, we've got Friday collectively between us for brains, but let's try it. Yes, there we go. There we go. Today's to- uh, today's topic, today's subject is a special as Dan explained, and it's the 10th anniversary special, and it's the Three Doctors set, well, not set, first broadcast, sorry, in December of 1972, and it's the the first series, really, the first story where past incarnations of the Doctor rejoined the show. So we had, in theory, the first Three Doctors. I mean, obviously, William Hartnell was in it very, very sparingly because he was poorly at the time, but we mainly get... John Pertwee and Patrick Triton uh, write this story for you know reasons that we'll explain as we get into the tale. And we also have other characters there that are quite prominent as well, aren't they? Sergeant Benton and the Brigadier and so on. Um, is this the first time you've watched this then, Dan, for the show? It, it's the first time in a few years. I have seen okay. it before a couple of times, but it turns out I remember far less of this than I thought I did. Right, to be okay. quite honest. So, yeah, I, yeah, I have watched it, but not in a while. And I was, I was pleasantly surprised by some goings on because I, in my head, I was getting a lot of it confused with the uh, with the five doctors. Right. Yes. Okay. But yeah, it was it was a, it was just sort of general thoughts, and it was a pleasure to watch. I, I absolutely adore the way that Troughton and Pertwee interact with each other. Yeah, they're brilliant, aren't they? The, the both start the both start out trying to be gentlemen. Don't then trying to be sort of civilized and all that, and then they're just descending to bickering children. Yes, and whenever Hartnell appears, I mean Hartnell effectively he had to pre-record um, his segments uh, and act as though effectively he was he was trapped 
because uh, his doctor couldn't tra- transport properly and fully to where it needed to be. He was trapped in between mm-hmm. like, where he was and where he needed to be. So he would only have a few moments on the monitor in the TARDIS. But whenever he would appear, it felt like, I don't know, the dad you know, disciplining two bickering children at times, wouldn't it? The, the, the other two <laughs> doctors would kind of stop and be like, oh, shit, there he is again, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, well, in the original down, shit. Yeah. <laughs> But you know, it, it is the in terms of the age of the uh, the actors, and, and sort of in terms of the age of how uh, that the Doctor's relative life, Hartnell would be the oldest one, wouldn't he? Because you know, mm-hmm. he was the whole you know wearing a bit thin, yeah, and and then he went more of uh, more of old age than anything else, didn't he? Mm. Yes, yes. I mean, Hartnell himself. This was his last acting role as well. I mean, he mm-hmm. died in, in 1975. This was first broadcast, when did I say, 72. And, he, you know, as we said, he wasn't well whilst recording this. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's sad, but at the same time, it's nice knowing that despite the fact he was so ill at this point in his life, he still managed to make it on screen at all, I guess. Yeah, it, it was nice that he was able to do it. And I think they, they got around it with the writing quite cleverly. Mm. It, the way they involved Hartnell and got around his, um, you know, well, his, the fact the fact he was dying, let's be honest, is yeah. is much cleverer than sort of the way they were forced to write out Tom Baker and the Five Doctors. Yeah, for instance, you know, it, because apparently I don't think he wanted to do it. Really, no, he didn't. No, yeah. but we can get into that when we cover the Five Doctors later on in this series of the Doctor Who Pod. Yeah, exciting stuff, and you'd be happy to know as well. I've managed to get a good few, uh, a good few tropes as we go along. Ah, awesome! Yeah, that'd be great. I mean, one person who was uh, apparently supposed to be involved in this, or they wanted involved with this, that didn't make it, was the character of Jamie, who was associated with the Second Doctor. Oh, but nice. he had oh, he already had filming commitments from Emmerdale Farm, so he couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> So he couldn't get involved in the Doctor Who 10th anniversary, which is a shame. And apparently Sergeant Benton ended up having the majority of the moments that Jamie would have had were rewritten for Benton to have instead, apparently. Yeah, it's a shame about Jamie. <laughs> Shake your fist in the air, curse you, Emmerdale. Um, <laughs> but, um, I thought it was quite nice seeing Benton get time to shine, especially yes. in terms of his relationship with, uh, with the Brigadier. Because... Throughout this, to be honest, the brigadier in his old, you know, I'm the brigadier, I know what I'm doing, but I'm in charge, rah, 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 rah. Um, he just sort of proved himself a bit of a clueless tit. Yeah, see, I was going to bring this up, actually. I was going to ask your opinions on it. The brigadier, I, I've, I've seen quite a bit of him now, but growing up, it was he was in The Five Doctors, and he was in a couple of tales with Sylvester McCoy that I watched back when I was a kid. And Obviously, he's made reappearances in New Who and so on. But watching these classic shows back, I didn't realise quite how much of a knob the Brigadier actually is in these <laughs> early ones, especially in this serial. I mean, don't get me wrong, it works quite well because there's a bit of comedy between him and Triton quite often and so on. But there are certain moments where you're just thinking, oh, mate, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not too keen on you anymore. Did you pick up on that? Yeah, a little bit. It, it, was, it was just a kind of just swallow your pride for one second. Listen to the doctor who obviously knows more than you, and just not everything is a challenge to your authority. Mm. That's what it was. It felt very much like him sort of stamping his feet and I'm in charge. 
you know that sort of attitude. But yeah. the, we'll we'll get to it. But when when they're clearly in a different part of the universe, or not well in a different universe, and he looks out and he's looked outside. Oh, it's probably just Norfolk. <laughs> come on, come on, dickhead. That's awesome. the le- the level of self denial is is incredible. Yeah, but it's but the thing is, it's not it's not like a Starman type character. You know, like we saw in the first series on the on the on the Pertwee series, we looked at with Inferno. He's got that sort of "I'm right, I'm right," but it's played so much for laughs when he's invariably wrong mm. that it's yeah, it's annoying. But at the same time, at least he gets his comeuppance pretty quickly. It's just yeah. frustrating that he doesn't seem to learn from it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, okay, then. I mean, we'll start as we should, of course, with episode one. Uh, effectively the general gist of the early part of the story i suppose is there's this little box type thingy that has appeared and it ends up zapping people to a different dimension but it's we start off with an old dude checking out a big balloon in theory <laughs> uh, uh, oh it's either that or it's uh it's just some guys found a giant's condom on his land yeah and that would piss you off if you're a farmer or a hunter you know, perhaps that's what Jamie's dealing with on Emmerdale Farm. Too many giant condoms around. <laughs> he ain't got the time to come and film Doctor Who. He's got to deal with these giant Johnnies. So they won't biodegrade quickly. No. <laughs> and this one wasn't even tied. Can you imagine the mess? Oh, dude, not cool. <laughs> I don't know how I turned this into giant spunk, but there we are. There we go. There we um, go. But yeah, it's um, yeah. This guy goes up to have a look. He's in. He's on a wildlife sanctuary, isn't he? And, there's a there's a fella coming through, Doctor Tyler, to check on his equipment because it's his scientific equipment that's there. But uh, this fella who we find out is called Mister Ollie, he uh, he just gets zapped out of existence. Yeah, and he's gone, and that's that. Yeah, wellies and everything. No, no. So the uh, Doctor Tyler and his equipment effectively find their way to Unit to have a look at certain results coming from the machine, which are unusual. And effectively, the doctor ex- explains that it looks like something here is traveling faster than the speed of light, but that, of course, is impossible and so on. And then the brigadier, of course, has got no idea to what any of this is, what anyone is saying, you know, as, as the doctor is talking <laughs> about these these results and so on, have they done? It's brilliant. The, the saying, you know, it uh, appears to be moving faster than light. It's come through millions of star systems as if it, and it's sort of been directed at Earth somehow whatever they've picked up on this cosmic ray detector. And the brigadier's just sort of stood there very much out of the loop. Is there anything I can do? The doctor says, yes, pass me a silicon rod and use it to stir his tea. Yeah. <laughs> which, I, which, I, which was brilliant. Then we get our first bit of wee-woo beep boop, which you can buy on a T-shirt now from uh, from Tea Public. They are bloody great, aren't they? I just got mine today. I'm wearing it to work tomorrow. They're fantastic. Um, yeah, the links yeah. are be in the show description and on Twitter and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, sorry, Dan, carry on. No, it's fine. Uh, just uh, plugging my own catchphrase. Um, apparently, it's the uh, it's essentially like controlled lightning. It's a controlled super lucent emission, which uh, yeah sounds sounds right. Yeah, I, mean, know, I didn't but, question yeah. it myself. So. No, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if, if it was an uncontrolled super lucent emission, then we'd have problems. Yeah, uh, but because you know, that's, that's completely different kettle of fish. Well, that's how you end up with giant condoms in your. Uh, Mm-hmm. On your land, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, but yeah, they're, they're developing these plates which look look oddly like X rays, and Doctor Tyler's doing all that stuff, and uh, the Brigadier is just wonderfully indignant about the whole thing for some reason. So make yourself at home, wonder we're only supposed to be a top secret establishment. 
Yeah. But uh, <laughs> but then we get the second zap out of reality, don't we? Because he's uh, you can see a uh, you can see a face in one of the readouts that he developed. Yeah. Now, that was little, cool. Uh, I liked that. That was a real cool touch. It reminded me. Did you see that sort of thing that went viral off Facebook, where it was somebody had shared a photo and it was like it was from a from a scan, you know, baby scan, and it but it was all like orangey. It was like all orangey and just different right. shades of orange and all that. And some woman had just commented on the on the picture that lasagna looks crisp. <laughs> 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 it was like that's my daughter Margaret. Yeah, <laughs> she's not always only being nice about it being a lasagna, <laughs> something like that. But that's what the kind of vibes it got there. But you can clearly see the face, in it, and it's really cool seeing it in the background. Mm. I thought that was uh, that was a nice little touch before. But we actually see this weird red and blue energy creature coming out, which I thought was a great effect for the time. Nineteen seventy-two, you said. Yeah, it must be seventy-three because it was a ten-year anniversary, wasn't it? Yeah, well, it first broadcast, um, well, yeah, literally the right at the end of 72. It was the 30th of December. It was, 72. yeah. It spanned, it spanned yeah. across, didn't it? Yeah, that was it. Um, yeah, really good effect for um, for the time. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I liken it to sort of Commodore 16 graphics. But mm. of course, the Commodore 16 wasn't around for many more years. So, yeah, this is, again, as you say, Dan, of the time. looks bloody great. It's 50 years old for crying out loud. Yeah, and it's, you know, I can't, I'm not going to sit and say it holds up, but... It looks looks damn good for its age. Yes, yes. And the the thing that came out that I, I will now forevermore refer to as the red thing. Um, it was <laughs> it kind of it zaps Doctor Tyler away and goes on a little bit of a mini rampage, doesn't it? Zapping various things away. The Doctor and Joe have nipped off to check out what has gone on with where the where the. Uh, Dr. Tyler's equipment was initially found and the old fella got zapped away initially. They're returning back because they've literally just popped out to look at the scene and, come, and they're coming back. And Bessie, the car, gets zapped away by the blue-red thingy. And it, it, Bessie. Oh, yeah, it is a shame. Uh, and it basically turns out that this is this organism thing, and that's not me being vague, that's literally what the doctor then refers to it as. It's an organism thing. So everyone else then starts, you know, the Brigadier Joe, and I literally then refer to it as organism thing for the next couple yeah. of scenes. It's hunting the Doctor, so to speak. The reason it is there, and the reason it is, I mean, it zapped Dr. Tyler away because he is in the Doctor's lab. It zapped mm. Bessie away because the Doctor had just been driving Bessie. It's after the Doctor, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah. And that's that's why it was targeted at Earth. And um, we get, you know, the, he's trying to explain to the Brigadier, but the Brigadier's getting annoyed at the Doctor, not telling him all he knows, and stuff that sort of mistook Tyler for for him and mistook Bessie and the beam that we that were talking about was actually um was actually transport for the creature. Um mm. which is which was really clever, I thought, you know, something that can travel on a faster than light beam and just, you know, it's an energy organism that just appears and zaps people out of existence. What a great what a great thing to think of in nineteen seventy two. Oh it's, when yes, fantastic. And then we go from one extreme to another. Because we get uh, we get some monsters that appear to be made up of entirely of blisters. Yeah, I've got them noted down here as blobby thing. Yeah, um, they start appearing. And do you remember me a while back talking about the the sort of documentary mocking certain aspects of old television, mm. and they had you know certain characters from Classic Who as a point of reference. Yeah, this moment here where they all start appearing. Because they literally just go, and they're there, don't they? And then we get the zoom in on the one soldier's face of like, oh my God, 
that exact scene was used in the same little montage as the one that I referenced before. <laughs> I can see why, to be honest, because they look shit. Yeah. They are just... It, it, have, you, have you ever played any of the Resident Evil games? What a silly question. Of course I've not. You might have done when you were younger. But it, it's like somebody... Because a lot of those... A lot of the things in Resident Evil, is that they've got a big thing with eyes. Like when these things mutate, and like eyes will just appear anyway, and that's what you've got to attack to to beat the monster. Okay, right. It reminded me of them if somebody had vaguely described what a Resident Evil monster was and then run it through a budget of about 50p. Hmm. But um, I've actually missed a couple, uh, missed a, uh, my first, um, what do you call it, my first trope there, because Dr. Tyler, uh, played by Rex Robinson, would go on to play uh, Jebek in Monsters of Peladon in 1974 and another Doctor, Dr. Carter, in The Hand of Fear in 1976. Oh, why? Okay. And one of the uh, unit soldiers is a guy called Pat Gorman. Now, it is uncredited in the vast majority of them, but Pat Gorman was actually in 105 episodes of Doctor Who between 1964 and 1985. He was in various roles, either as, you know, Monster of the Week or, or just just side, side roles somewhere in the background. Um, but we've actually seen him already in, attack, in Genesis of the Daleks, Caves of Androzani, and Attack of the Cybermen. Why? 105 episodes? Yep. yep. Oh, and there's, there's, um, later on, we'll see uh, there'll be a cell guard who's one of the, um, one of the uh, I call them the blister packs or blister trons. Okay. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the weird blob monsters. Yep. Um, one of the cell guards there was played by a fellow called Cytown. And he was in, I think it was about 80 episodes or 65 episodes between 73 and 87. Uh, but we actually saw him in the Happiness Patrol. He was Harold V's brother who got executed. Okay. Oh, uh, why? Obviously, you don't see his face because he's no, no, no. in the suit. But yeah. So two people who did a hell of a lot for Doctor Who, but were largely uncredited. That's amazing. I yeah, know it, like again, that. he was uh, actually Saitan was predominantly a, a Dalek operator. Brilliant. Oh, so, that yeah, is awesome. I just thought I'd drop those two in there. We've got a couple to come, but, um, but yeah, those are one I wanted to get Pat Gorman and Saitan in there. And also, you mentioned the guy who, who played Dr. Tyler. Was it Rex, his name, I think you said? Rex it was? Robinson. What a great Rex name. Rex Robinson. Oh, yeah, that's a wrestler's name, that, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rex Robinson challenged, uh, challenged Nature Boy Buddy Rogers in 1965. Yeah. <laughs> um, the fact that he's been in many stories, and we've already seen him several times in our short run as a podcast as well, in our first season and so on. I think that's brilliant as well. Oh, no, that was, uh, that was Pat Gorman. Oh, okay. Uh, this was Rex Robinson. Uh, this was Doctor Tyler's first go around for um, uh, for Doctor Who, and then he, he uh, came okay. in in seventy four or seventy six. Uh, Pat Gorman was the guy who started in sixty four, and he, he made twenty. He made twenty one years living out of uh, out of being in Doctor Who without anyone ever really noticing him. Yeah, amazing. It's that's that's great. That's brilliant. <laughs> Oh dear, yeah. So we we basically have these these. What did you call them? Blisterons, blistertrons, or, or um, it's like imagine if if Mister Blobby was made of hate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. I, 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 yeah, I'll go along on that. We we have hateful Blobby here, um, <laughs> and, and numerous replicas of him too. And oh, they're basically twat blobs. Twat blobs. There we go. And they're, and they're attacking. 
unit headquarters. And as yes. this is going on, and the soldiers are all outside trying to defend units with their machine guns and so on, the blobby red organism thing comes through a grill and starts making stuff disappear in unit again. Now, this leads to something in in the second episode, which we'll get to relatively quickly, I think, that mm-hmm. I thought was really cool. But in this moment, we end up with Sergeant Benton, Joe, and the Doctor running into the TARDIS, don't we? Because of what's going on. And the Doctor sends an SOS to the Time Lords, who we find out yeah. are having a few issues of their own, aren't they? They are, yeah. But one thing I do like at first, because this is uh, Benton's first time in the TARDIS. Mm. And he's looking, you know, he's doing the whole look around, what the hell is this sort of thing, and and, and the doctor's just saying, "Well, Benton, uh, well, Sergeant, aren't you going to say it's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside?" Everybody does, and Benton quite quickly pulls himself together and thinks, "Okay, this is freaky, but we've got a task at hand," which I really yes. quite like. Um, you know, it shows the pragmatic side to Benton, which is a good thing. Um, but yeah, the, on Gallifrey, uh, everything's going to shit because. Uh, the, uh, the cosmic energy that holds the fabric of space and time together and gives them their ability to time travel is being drained. Mm. It's being drained by the beam that the black hole originates from. Yes, yes. Yeah. They're having all their energy and everything that they... Well, anything they can use for any reason is effectively falling around their ears, isn't it, I guess? Mm. Well, they put, it, they put it in such a way as they say they're up against a force equal to an opposite to uh, their own, which inhabits a universe where they can't exist, which is antimatter. Yeah, and to be honest, this is where I kind of laugh a little bit because you've got the one Time Lord there who comes across as though he's like second in command, but he's making a lot of the decisions and pressing for difficult situations and so on. And then you've got the high chief guy, I suppose, the the, the top fella. Yeah. And he is getting everything explained to him by, by his second in command, so to speak. And the second yeah. in command says to him, you know, this is what's going on. So... The, the top guy, t- literally every th- every other sentence just says, are you saying that we're in trouble? Are yeah. you saying that this is happening? Are you well, saying that well, this is happening? Is, the thing is, doesn't it track that the person at the top doesn't actually know what's going on day to day, what all the departments do, or what the data means? Mm. Because I can, I can honestly say I've never seen that in my professional life. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I've been employed in various places that that may be a... Oh, Maybe if you've, coincides with yes. If you've ever worked retail, folks, um, mm. <laughs> and various other industries, but anyway, but that president, uh, the president of the council, who's the uh, the big boss in charge, is uh, played by Roy Purcell, and he played a chief. He played Chief Prison Officer Powis in The Mind of Evil in 1971. Okay. And then you've got the uh, the Chancellor, who was played by Clyde Pollitt. Uh, who played? It was just a nameless time lord in uh, in War Games in 1969, which was uh, Troughton's uh, Troughton's last serial. And then you've got another one of the time lords in there. I uh, forgot <laughs> forgot to write down his surname, so he's just called Graham. Uh, in <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's all he needs. He's he's, yeah. he's that well known and that prominent uh, an actor. That's all he goes by. Just just Graham. Yeah, you just know? Graham. I don't even have it up on my uh, uh, on my browser anymore, but. Anyway, back to my notes. Uh, he played uh, the controller in uh, the Macro Terry in 1967. Uh, he played Price in Fury of the Deep in 1968. Uh, the Grand Marshal in Seeds of Death in 1969 and was uh, a Time Lord again in Colony of Space in 1971. See, so many of these characters in this story knocking around in so many other stories, aren't they? This is... Yeah. This is the most. I think this, you know, for, not necessarily for number of actors in other things, but number of actors in separate stories. 
this has got yeah. to be the most we've come across, isn't it? Uh, it's, it'll be up there, yeah, definitely. It's certainly, certainly up there. I can't remember off the top of my head, but yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of people with experience on the show, which is always a good thing. Mm. Um, but yeah, so they've identified this thing as, as an antimatter creature, um, which, in theory, is one of the scariest and weirdest enemies that Doctor Who has ever produced. Because the whole concept of that, well, it's not even a concept, antimatter exists. It is just a fact, because the universe is made up of matter. With the universe, there's always a balance. So right down to, you know, Newton's third law of motion, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. So for matter to exist, there must also be antimatter. Mm, The problem being, when matter and antimatter collide, what happens, the... um, the the atoms of each perform what's called an annihilation. They cancel each other out completely. Right. So there, there's a release of energy, and both sets of atoms are completely gone. And this is actually observable with the um, you know with things like the Large Hadron Collider uh, in CERN in Switzerland and things like that. Antimatter has been observable, but the production and containment of it is so intricate and so expensive. It's never been able to be sort of produced up to anything more than a few nanograms. So okay. infinitesimally small amounts. Could I just but, ask the question then? Yeah. Why would you want it? Uh, big what is boom. the purpose of it? Make big boom. Oh, okay. So yeah, weapons the, then? Well, funnily enough, you know uh, Dan Brown who wrote the Da Vinci Code? Not personally. <laughs> <laughs> You've heard of him. Uh, yeah, well, I've seen the Da Vinci Code. I've seen the Yeah, so uh, Angel, the, the follow-up to Da Vinci Code, Angels and Demons. I've seen that, that all, too. Yeah, that, well, that all centred around antimatter. Um, the whole point of it was that there were, the, the, the weapon that they were going to use to blow up the Vatican was antimatter that had been produced in such a quantity that just the time of running out on this device and the antimatter touching the casing that it was being held in, would blow up the Vatican and just erase it from existence. Huh, okay. So, so I mean, like, again, here we're seeing things zapping away and disappearing all over the place. There's actually a, a legitimate science to them disappearing this way, then? Yes, but the the initial theory from the characters in this is that it's an annihilation, which means they've just been cancelled out of existence. But what's actually happening to figure out is that it's an awful lot of effort to send something out of a black hole to just kill someone. Mm. So they figure out that's the logic that leads to them realising that it's a transport. Yeah, okay. Yeah, interesting. Look at that. Yeah, I've, uh, I, I do need to do some more reading up on the antimatter stuff, because I did a lot of reading up on it years back, after I'd read Angels and Demons, funnily enough. But it's been so long now and uh, that it took more than... Uh, it takes more than a... a more than half an hour on a, on a sweaty Sunday to uh, to get all the knowledge <laughs> to get all the knowledge back in my head. No, I, well, that was what you explained now was was brilliant enough, Dan. Trust me. Uh, and we get quite a brilliant moment here next, don't we? Because effectively, the Time Lords they know that they need to send help to the Doctor, but they yeah. can't send help to the Doctor from anyone that they have. You know, they have no one three that they're, they're, they're fighting their own battles. So to speak, they got, you know, it's all hands on deck in Gallifrey. Mm. So they decide to send the doctor to help the doctor effectively. 
pull out his former selves from their his from their past timelines and and send them to help out the current doctor so at least he's got a bit of backup i guess and, and this breaking, happens, breaking the first root the first law of time travel naughty bastards oh oh dear me there'll be words at <laughs> yeah oh, a slap on the wrist coming for somebody um that's it's their own rules though isn't it it's their own rules they've made yeah uh, but it's it's the, the rule of time travel forbidding uh, forbidding someone to meet themselves but mm. they argue it has to be done and they've got to use a significant amount of the energy they've got left just to take this punt and what i love about this is you actually see footage uh from patrick Troughton in war games yes and then you just see the TARDIS has a sort of clanging motion. And I think it's Joe finds a recorder, picks it up, and Trouton just appears to take it off. <laughs> How amazing was that reveal of Trouton appearing in the TARDIS with a recorder? Oh, I loved it so much. Because I, I absolutely, like I said before, I absolutely adore the way Trouton, one, the way Trouton plays the Doctor, and yes. two, the way Trouton and Pertwee bicker at each other. Because I, I really like both portrayals from what I've seen. But the way those two, just the chemistry, it was obviously because I'm watching them in the, you know, not in order. It just reminded me so much of Tennant and Smith in the 50th. 50th. Mm. And I really hope that this kind of thing, you know, this was sort of the inspiration behind that. Yeah, I hope so as well. I mean, it, it is it is brilliant. To me, I mean, John Pertwee is fantastic in the story we watched previously. Mm. And he's fantastic in this as well. And you know, Joe Grant is, 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 is Joe. She's brilliant in a sort of supporting role there. The, the brigadier is the brigadier, Stifa Palip and all that nonsense. Benton, as you mentioned, Dan, is is low-key a bit of a star in this story because he gets more to do. But to me, Triton is the guy. Triton is the star of this story. Yeah, he really and just a bit later on when we get the first doctor on the screen on the on the scanner, and he said, Oh, this is what I become, a dandy and a clown. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It's yeah. Yeah, and I think actually at one point in this, it will come on to now, Joe Grant just takes control of everything and just through sheer logic and intelligence just shows both doctors that they're being idiots and that there is a way through it all. Mm. She really, she has a, a series of about, within about two minutes, solves about four problems. Yeah. So yeah, Joe Grant, really solid in this as well. Everything's really, really well written and, and well performed. Yeah, I mean with regards to Triton arriving and, and they have the, the bickering and Hartnell's on screen saying that he can't join them because there's not enough power to get him sent there. Which again, as you said, Dan's clever writing to sort of have him involved, but not fully because of William Hartnell's illness. We basically get the scenario then that they need to catch each other up. So Pertwee and Triton's doctors have this kind of telepathic conference to share information about what is going on. Oh, I can't watch these. Oh, this is this was a bit crap for me. Yeah, it, it's the the rapidly flicking back and forth between faces. It, it made me feel a bit migrainey, mm. uh, to be honest. So I couldn't watch that. But it's they needed a way to catch each other up without having a big exposition dump and making effectively another part to the story. Yep. So the fact that they are essentially the same mind. And Time Lords, and well, at least to my knowledge, are known to have certain psychic or telepathic abilities. It kind of does make sense that they'd be able to do that. Yeah, it does make sense. But I just, I'm just saying, obviously, again, we're, we're looking at 50-year-old television. So, And 50-year-old television, and again, I, I repeat myself on this, but 50-year-old television that I love, 
So it may seem like I'm dumping on what we're watching a little bit here, but it comes from a place of love and a place of humor. But it just looked a bit crap to me. I can understand the whole point to that. All right, yeah. That that, that sort of situation where they're doing what they're doing, but it just looked a bit crap. And I was, <laughs> like, you, was it the was it the was it that that did it for you? Yeah, I'm like, oh, this is, and and the stand both standing there going contact contact. It's like when I turn my Bluetooth headset on when I'm leaving work to listen to my music, <laughs> and I get connected. It's like the doctor's Bluetooth thing to the other doctor, you know. <laughs> See what I want now is for this to be like redone in the 60th anniversary, but for one of them to say for maybe Tenant because we know he's in it, Tenant to say contact or something like that, and for for Jody just to go uh, or shoot or shoot a guy or whoever's in it to say, don't worry, I've got Bluetooth and just like pull the lip down and actually have like a little Bluetooth. <laughs> But then sometimes you get those issues, don't you, where you, it doesn't quite connect and you've got to keep researching for your your, your earphones on your phone because it can't find them. I want, you could have something like that as well. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just want the Bluetooth gag now in something just, yeah. just to get it on. Just to get it on. It's, yeah, that's that, this is my brain melting in real time, folks. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do quite like that... Um, that Troughton catches up with Benton and you know he's immediately caught up that he's a sergeant now, not a cop. Yeah, I loved that. Um, that was great. They're actually having difficulty explaining that Troughton is Pertwee and that they're the mm. same person, effectively. Um, but I did like though that, <laughs> that um, Troughton starts trying to explain it, and um, what was it? Something like he is me and I am. What well, I am him and he is me, and then Joe just launches into the Beatles lyric. Yeah. I am the walrus. Because <laughs> as, as if to subtly say, it's like, all right, no need to be condescending, dickhead. Yeah. <laughs> I do like that. And the fact that the fact that frigging uh, the brigadier doesn't understand it until he literally sees both doctors in the same place. Yeah, and that's well into the story as well. Oh, it's towards the end of part four. Yeah. Hilarious. Hilarious. It is. Oh, dear. Um, Hartnell on screen effectively says that you need to turn turn off your... He says you need to turn off the force field, uh, and and basically the decision is made that one of the doctors via a coin toss, uh, which ends up being Pertwee, is going to run out and get zapped to go to wherever this thing is zapping people to 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 check out what's going on. Joe actually follows Pertwee's doctor and gets zapped with him, and they and that's the end of episode one. They, they kind of depart, don't they, Dan? Yeah, very good cliffhanger. The doctors, mm. as far as we know, has been zapped out of existence. Although we have had uh, Hartnell. Uh, teasing that it's uh, that the the beam of light is a bridge that the creature followed, and basically, you know, if a bridge can be gone over one way, surely it can be gone over the other, and sort of alluding yep. to that sort of logic. So, yeah, another again, we say it seems to say it every time, but good cliffhanger. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, I suppose that takes us into the second episode now. Obviously, there's stuff we're going to touch upon here. But I don't think a whole lot happens in this second episode. No, I mean, we get a quarry. Yes, we're back in the quarry. <laughs> Touch off that off on your Doctor Who pod bingo card. <laughs> we're back in a quarry. Um, but the one thing that made the first thing that made me laugh is the doc, the Pertwee's just run out and got zapped. So Benton's initial reaction is he's off to lob a grenade at it. That, yeah, <laughs> that was his initial reaction. Um, but so sort of, uh, Troughton's realised that the, the creature has sort of settled down. 
you know, it's, t- it's taken Pertwee and now it's just sort of sat there, just buzzing a little bit. Mm. Or as there's a, there's a, there's Trout calls it, you know, it's got the hiccups <laughs> as if it's eaten, <laughs> as if it's eaten Pertwee. And uh, the Brigadier's in, and he, he, this is gold, comedy gold, when Brigadier realises that Troughton's back, and he's like, oh no. And Troughton lo- looks at him and goes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, but, he's like, but you're not, it's the first one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, he, he just cannot get his hand head around, you know, how he's changed the appearance of where Joe is and or anything like that. And I thought it was a, a great moment of comedy just to, just to sort of bring things back up from uh, from where they were last week and before we get into the uh, before we get into the quarry. Yeah, and um, in the quarry, we have Joe and the Doctor kind of waking up there. Joe panics and thinks that they're dead. I mean, I don't know why she would assume that. I mean, I, I would assume that Joe and the Doctor would go to heaven if they have died because they're not bad people. So, is heaven a quarry? I mean, it's for Doctor Who writers, I suppose. I suppose it is, you know, it does seem to be like the Mecca, doesn't it? They seem to make a lot of a, a lot yeah. of, you know, journeys to various quarries all over the UK. Uh, <laughs> what I liked about this though is they're walking around the, the the quarry or wherever they are been zapped to, so to speak, and the stuff that the red blobby thing has previously zapped is appearing as well. So they've got like just a random bits of the unit HQ, <laughs> like the water cooler is there and. A bit yeah, of the wall th- and the door is there. I thought that was cool. It is. I think we've actually have we skipped ahead quite a bit, a bit or have I, am I just not reading my notes properly? Uh, let me just go back up. Sorry, I'll Sorry. catch up in a sec. Gives me a chance to pour another drink. Oh, we missed out a good. Uh, but wherever we are in it, we missed out a good uh, a good Patrick Troughton line. Okay, uh, it's when he's uh, when he's in talking to the brigadier and he says, uh, "You know, the, the the time lords are far from all powerful at the moment. That's why it's been left up to me, me and me." <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely love that. And then uh, we get the scene in Gallifrey where they're still banging on about the first law of time not being broken and the first doctor trapped in the time eddy, which again I thought was a great explanation as to why he wasn't there. Oh, there it is, yet yeah, quarry time. But we 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 cut back um, pretty quickly to. Uh, to Troughton when he's he said he's saying the problem with antimatter is you can see the effect but never the cause like being punched in the nose by the invisible man <laughs> <laughs> which I quite like and he gives you know he's, he's speculating as to why if the antimatter creature is there why isn't everything exploding yeah. because obviously you know it's expecting an annihilation he says the only explanation is whoever sends it is cleverer than they are um then no, that was it. Sorry, I've caught up now. This this is crap, folks. So I'm, I'm so hot, I can't even read my notes properly. Yeah, the uh, the finding all the stuff in the quarry, the lab door, Bessie, and all the rest of it. And I do. And Joe just decides to have a have a drive about, and Joe just says twice around the park. Yeah, <laughs> just completely unfazed. Yeah, yeah. Um, something I liked as well from from this this particular episode was the brigadier panicking about having to explain to Geneva about what's going on. And this is a big oh, deal yeah. to him. He's got to explain to Geneva. Got to explain to Geneva. So he says that the doctor has got to come on the video call, which for 50 years ago is a little bit sort of, you know, advanced technology, isn't it? That's, uh, that's a wee-wee beep-boop at that time. It is indeed. And he says that the way he's going to get around the doctor not looking like the doctor is to say that the second doctor is actually the third doctor's assistant, which really <laughs> pisses Triton off, doesn't it? He did not oh. enjoy that. 
the indignation was delicious. It, it was, was absolutely fantastic. But this was all while the Doctor was setting up a machine to uh, to keep the antimatter creature sort of confused and compliant, really, wasn't it? Mm. Um, but it, it has the opposite effect because the Doctor hasn't taken into account the... Um, so the the nature of antimatter, the the opposite will happen. Yeah, which uh, which was again a nice sort of thing. So they they managed to just get in the TARDIS, and uh, the brigadier the brigadier's got his what the fuck face on, and uh, Trouton rather than you know Pertwee you know trying to ease him into it, Trout was just saying, "You'll get used to it soon, old chap. Relative dimensions and all that." amazing man. The first thing the brigadier says is is whinge that this is what the doctor's been doing with unit funds. Yeah, I he, think, he thinks he's been siphoning unit money off to build the TARDIS. Like <laughs> he, he came with it; it was there when he turned up. Mm. <laughs> you tit. Oh man, it's good. It's good. <laughs> Meanwhile, back in the quarry, and again, this episode to me feels like there's certain moments in it that have to happen for the story. I appreciate that. Certain to, to get us from episode one, which was setting the scene and quite a bit of action going on, and then episode three and then into four, where you know the story kind of rolls on and there's important stuff happening and we get to the end of the story itself. This this second episode, I think there's certain moments in it that had to happen to help bridge the gap from what happens in the first episode across. But I also feel like there's a bit of filler as well. It also feels like yeah. maybe they didn't have enough for 25 minutes of telly. So we get all that stuff like them building the machine, uh, the second doctor building the machine to control the the red blobby thing. Didn't really need all that to happen, well, and, 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 and other things like that going on. It just seems like a lot of a lot of filler, I, a lot of dragging stuff out. I don't know. I think you did, in essence, because if you're you're under attack by a creature, your job and the job of everyone around you is to investigate these kinds of threats. The creature then calms down you have an idea of how to keep it contained so it doesn't get out and just start zapping things out of existence again. I think that is exactly what someone like the Doctor would and, and Benton and the Brigadier would see it as their duty to do. And without them doing that, they then don't have the premise for the second Doctor and the other humans actually making it into the parallel world beyond the black hole. Okay. So I, th- I think, I think that, that particular thing as an, as, as a narrative device does make sense. They maybe spent a bit too much time doing, you know, doing the ins and outs and the intricacies and, 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 yeah. and padded, padded it out a bit too much. But I think as a, sto- as a, as a story point, it needed to happen. Yeah. I mean, that's what was, what, what I was kind of really trying to get at. It, it's, it's something that links together parts of the story that's needed. But in that whole in that whole scene of building it up, talking about what it does, and then the doctor goes away to only come straight back again, and, and it just seemed like a lot of a lot of faff around the actual core of what we needed. Yeah, I can understand that, but and actually, to be fair, it, it, this rolls around to me sort of agreeing with your larger point. They needed to fill the time, um, mm. <laughs> but at this point as well, the the uh, the then cut back to Doctor Tyler who's drawing equations in the uh, in the sand in the quarry figuring out he's travelled above light speed and that light must be travelling around because he can still see. So he's trying to figure out how this place exists in or on the other side of a black hole, at uh, which point the Doctor and Joe, uh, Pertwee and Joe rock up and sort of sum it up. They're saying they're on a stable world in a universe of antimatter 
an anomaly within an impossibility. Yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was a great line. Yeah, no, very clever, very clever. Uh, yeah. But very quickly, that trio are, are captured, aren't they, by the blisterons? And, um, <laughs> by, the twa- by, by, by the twat blobs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they're taken to what looks like a cross between a Santa's Grotto and a 1970s strip bar. You've got the drop on me there, and I've been to a 70s strip bar. Oh, I've been to loads. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, don't, get, don't get me wrong, the Zimmer frames and the walkers get in the way, but you can get around that. Um, it's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah all anyway. three are, all three are captured and, and taken off to this santa's grotto type place very glittery bad guys lair uh we tyler tries his luck dr tyler tries his luck and, and tries to peg it at one stage and doesn't really get very far and the doctor just refers to him simply as idiot very sternly which <laughs> <laughs> i did like that and all the while while they're doing this on the, on the other side of things uh, Trout and the Brigadier and Benton are in the uh, are in the TARDIS, just sort of tucked away, and uh, and Trout's just looking for his recorder. Yeah, much to the annoyance of uh, of the Brigadier, who wants to just get out there and try and kill the thing. But what are you going to do, Brigadier? Are you going to try and shoot it? Come on, have a word. Mm, with your little handgun. Um, they just used a whole bloody machine gun outside when they were battling all the other stuff. You know, one of these massive yeah. on the deck and the soldier has to sit down on the ground because it's such a large gun. And he's there with his little bloody spud gun, pee pistol kind of thing. Yeah. And, and, and he reckons he can go out and deal with it just because he's got a posher accent, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I did find it quite funny, though, when the doctor, when he, uh, when the brigadier's trying to radio Palmer outside and the doctor says, let me have a look, I'll sort out the range for you. And the whole thing just falls apart in his hand and, and, <laughs> and the brigadier just looks at him and says, you wanker. Yeah, <laughs> you've broken my <laughs> stuff, man. But he, does, but, he does, but he does finally sort it out, and then orders no further aggression against the, um, you know, against the monsters, mm. which I thought was was quite interesting. But then we get we get the return of Hartnell, who's still stuck in the time eddy. Uh, the time lords are getting weaker, um, and. <laughs> The brigadier looks at the looks at the screen and says, "Who the devil was it? Who in the, what, who in the name of heaven was that?" And Trout just looks and says, "You'd never believe me." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he's he's basically telling them to turn off the force field and let the let the the organism uh, just tap the TARDIS. Yeah. Tell 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 Trout to use his intelligence. Saying, <laughs> so, "You know, come on, I figured this out. Get your shit together." Yeah, which is again, it's like. It, it's kind of patronizing, but it was funny at the same time because the, the older doctor, I suppose the first incarnation, just looking at his, 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 you know, his successors and being a bit like, Oh, rolling of the eyes. Oh my goodness. Sort of thing. You know? Yeah. I do like it. And I put then Troughton sort of confirms why he's okay with that and says to go, you know, goes to turn off the force field and, and bring it in. Why? He says, because he told me to, and I've always had a great respect for his advice. Meaning like his own well. ideas. <laughs> Yeah, that I loved. That was that was good. That was yeah. Good. Um, but we we end this we end the show, end the episode on another great cliffhanger, uh, which is the, um, the 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 twat blobs disappearing and the entire unit HQ disappearing. Yeah, and then that intense close up on that soldier's face. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny. But yeah. the, what I like about this second cliffhanger is yes, not much happened in the episode, but. It was a one-up from the cliffhanger of the first episode. Mm-hmm. The first episode, you have two people getting zapped out, getting zapped into God knows where, 
the end of the second episode, the whole bloody building's gone. Yeah. So how powerful actually is that thing? Well, exactly. The fact that, and again, obviously it's lower. It, it's a lower example because this is a whole building that has vanished this time. But the one that gets me is when it's it's earlier on zapped part of the wall away from the doctor's lab. Mm. And you see that in the quarry when they arrive to where everything is being sent to. And I loved that because it's got the door and a bit of the wall around it that has just been taken. I just think that just little things like that look so cool, especially considering, you know, yeah. money and um, I suppose technology 50 years ago for making this kind of television wasn't really there. Little things like that, I think, are really, really good. Yeah, it's ingenuity, it's clever, and it is just a lot of fun, especially when Joe goes behind the other side of the door and she tries it, it's locked. Yeah. And, he's, and the doctor's in what you expect, it's a, a top-secret government facility. It's <laughs> <laughs> like they're in the middle of a fucking quarry. Oh, man. It's just... Yes. But, I mean, as you said, Dan, that's the end of the second episode. The whole building vanishes. Um, we start episode three, obviously with a rerun of that little... Um, cliffhanger from the previous week's TV. But it kind of cuts away from all that very quickly to to Joe, Dr. Tyler, and the, the third Doctor effectively being walked to go and meet Omega. They're, they're kidnapped quite <laughs> early they're, on. They? They're admiring the decor. Yeah. <laughs> well, they've got kidnapped in the second episode, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, because yeah. We, we actually have, in fact, we skipped over it a bit. They... Um, we have the bit where they're surrounded by the blood monsters and the blood monsters are firing into the quarry, essentially, to keep them penned in and they have a series of explosions, which, I, again, for the time and the budget, looked amazing. And yeah. it was a great... Was so, made so much sense to say, no, they'll shoot there, keep them in where they can capture them. Just makes sense, spot on, great stuff. And just, their, guns are, their guns are funny, though, aren't they? I couldn't even see them. I don't know what they were firing from. It was just more blobs. They had like what looked like, effectively, it was the shape of a fish, I guess. Like so, you know, when you go to like oh, yeah. the supermarket and they've got the the fishmonger there, and you've got all the dead fish led there, like the big old pieces of like cod. Oh yeah, yeah. It looked like one of those that had been painted and just had a couple of light bulbs shoved in it. Might well have been. It looked it's... like a big floppy dead fish. Although I dare say they had more rigidity to them because. When you when you get the fish out the out the fridge the first time they are like quite floppy and that a frozen dead fish then mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we have that Joe and Doctor Tyler kind of taken off to a cell as Omega is, seems far more interested in talking to the Doctor himself he doesn't need mm-hmm. anyone else around it seems and I quite liked this as well because Doctor Tyler mentions that then it's not going to hold them for very long because there's no door. And then the door materializes in because it's all to do with, you know, controlling the matter around them and so on with the mind, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, it is. But we don't even sort of see about the will thing until later on, but it's very cleverly done. And I quite like the use of the green screen at this point because it made everything look just a bit more ethereal and a little bit less real, which you'd kind of, ex- I suppose, visually expect from an antimatter universe. Mm. Um and yeah, the, the door appearing again, I thought looked really good. It was, you know, really cleverly done. But we, uh, we, I don't know what to make of Omega as a villain because the helmet is, yeah, it's all. It looks quite imposing, but it's it's kind of quite obvious in the way he moves that the actor can't see jack shit. <laughs> it's brilliant, isn't it? <laughs> you can see the other actors in the background as well at times. 
trying really hard to not react as the guy playing Omega nearly walks into shit. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to see the outtakes. Oh, I um, bet he's um, knocking stuff over left, right, and centre, mate. Stubborn, stubborn he's to fuck. Yeah. <laughs> it is by my will, bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Can you cut me some eye holes? <laughs> <laughs> or at least bigger ones. Yeah. Oh, God. It's funny, but I kind of like the whole history around Omega that, that gets that gets thrown out to us, saying that, um, that you know, without Omega, there'd be no time travel. Omega was a solar engineer who went to, you know, went to discover the source of power for time travel. Mm-hmm. And he, he's kind of honoured and revered and, and presumed dead because of an accident. But really, he's been on the other side of this, you know, this black hole in the antimatter universe for the whole time. He's been, he's essentially reached the point called the singularity where the laws of physics no longer apply and whatever he wills becomes real. So everything's yeah, like held together. Yeah, just conjures a chair out of nowhere. Yeah. But everything's held together by the force of his will and only exists because he wants it to. Which mm-hmm. is how he made the how he made the how he altered the physiology of the antimatter creature to exist in both worlds and applied the same thing to the doctor and all the humans to ensure they could survive as well because he needs the doctor or another time lord to facilitate his escape. Mm. Yeah. We yeah. would beat boop. We would beat boop indeed. And uh, <laughs> we, we have, I suppose, as standard, I guess, in the episodes we've watched recently, a few different groups of people or a few different sort of like mini storylines knocking around at the same time here because the brigadier is in the quarry and he's come across uh, Olis, Otis? Mr. Olis. Ollis, that's it, Ollis. Uh, so they form a little uh, allegiance there, and the brigadier tells him to consider himself under my command, and so which is a uh, typical of the brigadier, I guess. Yeah, he's, he's he's back taking charge, isn't he? But this isn't this is after he's they've managed to land on the other side of the black hole, and he hasn't quite realised what's happened. Yes, you know, he, he can't radio Palmer and the doctor saying, "Look, it's not possible." Even you know, Benton's recognised that that they're not in the same part of the universe. And the brigadier the brigadier just goes off in a huff. And the way the way the way that um, the way that they put it was quite fun actually. Uh, the, uh, with Troughton saying the antimatter monster found the TARDIS indigestible. So it took the whole building like swallowing a pill with a glass of water. Yeah, that's uh, really clever. Yeah, great analogy. The brigadier goes for a look outside and he comes back and saying, What have you done? There's sand everywhere and Trout just says splendid, who's for a swim? <laughs> Sorry, sorry. This with the brigadier here though is low key one of my favourite moments in the show because he opens the door and it's just a shot down the corridor and he's walking to the door, opens it, sees all the sand and stuff, and then turns and looks directly at the camera. But he's doing it from a bit of a distance, and the expression on his face as he's holding this door open for us to see the sand and that is absolute gold because it's pure confusion but he looks a mug at the same time it yeah. is just that honestly i had to pause it because his is the look on his face just made me laugh so much he has got a, he's got a brilliantly ex, so um expressionable face it can convey so many emotions at once it's a real talent to have um, but when he's with the doctor there and he's got he's just eye-poppingly furious and Troughton's there with that mischievous naughty boy look on his face 
<laughs> just exa- just exacerbating his anger. Yeah. And uh, he said, do you realise what you've done? You've stolen the whole of Unit HQ. We're probably miles from London. And he said, a bit further than that. He said, we're not even in the same country. There'll be international repercussions. This could be construed as an invasion. Invasion. And ben- <laughs> I know. And Benton's saying, it's not just a matter of the same country. If uh, if the doctor's right, we're not even in the same universe. And that's the point that Brigadier just says, nah, fuck that, what are you on about? And he's saying, what it's nonsense. There's a, there's a beach out there. It's probably Norfolk. And I've written that in my notes for Bateman, this is fucking brilliant. Brigadier is such a typical stiff up lip by no best military twat. He can't put his ego and fear aside to properly understand and makes everybody else look smarter. Yeah, exactly. And he just, he, the, Troughton's there begging for the Brigadier to listen to him. He interrupts, uh, interrupts with a plan to go find a phone and tell people where they are because he thinks he's in Chroma. <laughs> oh man it's so it's, funny because we're a, laughing a, at the guy at this point aren't we we're literally laughing oh, at him which I in one it. hand is a shame but on the other side of the coin it's it's bloody bloody great television and it's it's to the point that Troughton is hitting himself in the head actually you see him just yeah I hope that picks up because I just hit myself in the head because um, that'll that'll do well for the brain cells that are rapidly depleting. Um, <laughs> but then the doctor suddenly becomes obsessed with finding his recorder again. Yes, again, yep. And that's when the uh, that's when the twat blobs turn up. Yes, and they effectively we end up then with Benton and the second doctor being taken to well, Omega's sparkly layer i guess it's (laughs) (laughs) the omega sparkle palace yeah that's it (laughs) (laughs) the the anti-matter lounge (laughs) (laughs) make yourself at home (laughs) omega's fantabulous glitter bar Oh man! And you look at what he's wearing as well, mind. The, uh, the place is 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 literally it's an extension of him, isn't it? Because Omega, he's got that big scary mask on that we touched upon, and this yeah. like really dramatic, booming voice. But you actually catch him at times, and he's lying around on these sofas and whatever. He's just got these glittery gowns on, these glittery robes and all that as well. Yeah, you he's know, got his swishy robes and all that, and it's yeah, you, yeah. It, it's it sounds dafter than we're saying it, because it, it's not a bad looking villain as far as it, you know, as far as the no, no, it isn't, goes. Yeah. But he's, uh, his dress sense is quite flamboyant. He's got it a little bit of the 1970s Alton John about him, hasn't he? He makes Pertwee look reserved. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But we've now got the doctors in the same place, haven't we? At the point Troughton turns up, uh, Pertwee's sort of trying to get through to him. They're through to him again, saying, look, find a way back. Take your seat on the High Council. You'd have all the freedom to do as you want. But Omega's only concerned with power and revenge. Yeah, vengeance. And the, yeah, then the you know the second Doctor's brought in, and Omega quite quickly clocks that Troughton's not afraid of him, mm. and that they are in fact the same two of the same Time Lord, and construes the the Time Lord's desperation, and <laughs> for some reason. Troughton gets this whole air of in- indignation. I was, I was just out for a nice stroll when this great, horrible jelly thing, you know, giving it <laughs> Again, Triton steals the scene. He's fantastic. Yeah, he really is. And just while they're going through all of this and all the monsters around, you've got the brigadier outside with Mr. Hollis talking about waiting for the doors to open and then going in for a full frontal assault. 
Yeah, with Mr. Ollis's like rifle and his hand. He's got, he's got a, Ollis has got a side by side shotgun, two shots max, and then you re, two shots and then you reload it. Brigadier's yeah. got a revolver. How much ammunition do they realistically have with them when the fucking machine guns wouldn't put those things down? I mean, it's, it's very optimistic. You've got to admire his, his bravery and his optimism, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is the equivalent it's the equivalent of uh, volunteering to go over the top in World War One. Yeah, pretty much, mate. Pretty much. Yeah. I think we um, get another great scene after this though with the uh, with the two with the second and third doctors bickering about who fucked who fucked it up with Omega before um before everybody points out you're supposed to work together. Mm. Come on, you know. We get uh, there's another in the uh, sort of another catch up with Dr. Tyler about Sit about the phenomenon of singularities and and how the place exists. Now I've written a bit down, so strap in for some wee wee beep. Okay. So I'll just do a little bit. And it's only because I've written it down. Please don't ask me to explain any of it. <laughs> uh, singularity is a point in space time which can. Uh, singularity is a point in space time which can exist only inside a black hole. They are in a black hole in a world of antimatter, very close to the singularity, where all the known laws cease to exist. Omega has somehow got control of the singularity and learned how to use the vast forces locked inside the black hole and has, as we said before, created this whole world based on the fantastic effort of his will. So it was... I did look into it. The singularity theory is real. Okay. Um, it's all to do with... Because, you know, a black hole is a star that's achieved such a density that it's collapsed in on itself. Yeah. And everything inside there is is just infinitely dense. Right. Effectively, the singularity is the densest point of the black hole, where the matter okay. is where the matter is so dense that, f- f- as we said before, physics don't apply. Mm-hmm. Right, and okay. that's where that's where they are in so the belly button. In the belly button, <laughs> 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 where some weird mass dude has built a sparkly gay nightclub. <laughs> well, yeah. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd put more beer pumps in myself, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does look a bit sparse, doesn't it? Drink wise, but then I suppose well, he can he can make things appear out of anywhere, can't he? Like he did with a chair, he could just muster up a you know, bottle of vodka and a couple of mixers, can he? It, it goes on about being there for thousands of years. You can guarantee he spent the first few centuries off his nuts. Yeah, once he'd figured yeah. out how to do that, <laughs> and now he's just hung over and out for revenge. Yeah, damn you, Time Lords! So I took far too much E, and now I'm on the I'm on the biggest come down ever. <laughs> um, on this though, they do actually have a um, Joe suggests using the sonic screwdriver. Um, because uh, this, I'm sorry, this is sort of Joe's moment where she points out Omega can't be all powerful because otherwise, why did he bring them there? And then she suggests using the sonic. But they can't because it's um, you know everything's on the force will make us will. So that's that quite nicely put to one side. Mm. And then Joe points out if Omega can will up an entire world, surely between the two doctors, they can will up a door. So it's effectively Joe's logic at this point is driving everything. Yes, which is, which I thought was a really good bit of writing. Um, unfortunately, it leads to another telepathic conference. I've got more mind bollocks written on my notes. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, the best mind bollocks is, is is to come in just a little bit. Oh my goodness, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that now. I mean, effectively, yeah. the, the doctor uses the, their mind bollocks to uh, open the door of the cell. <laughs> 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 I've just got an, if 
if they're the mind bollocks, does that mean that when they add the first doctor in, that he's the mind shaft? Yes, exactly. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> One great throbbing mind dick. Joe, Tyler, and Benton actually manage to escape, don't they? As the brigadier and his companion are trying to break in, they're breaking out, and everyone just kind of pegs it. But in between all this... Don't add pegging into all this. <laughs> they run away then, shall we say. Uh, <laughs> as this is going on, the two doctors are challenging Omega and trying to, um, I suppose, put an end to all this. When we basically get Pertwee and Omega's dark side. The, th- the third doctor's having a slow-mo karate fight with pervert Gollum. It's like... <laughs> It's like this weird fucking pig thing. It's like <laughs> it's like it's like a pig-nosed, slightly muscular, like dark elf kind of thing. You know, yeah, <laughs> with this crazy, ugly pig face thing. I mean, if if you're imagining, if that's if that's you, and you can create this, and you're you're basically dictating that this is your dark side. This is the dark side of your mind. Why do you look like a pig in your own mind? Good question. I, I don't really have a question. I don't really have an answer for it, to be honest. This is one of those rare moments. He's obviously just got some really weird aversion to park. Yeah. <laughs> well, to be fair, there were no scratchings on sale in his bar, was there? Couldn't see anything. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I want to go back now and just see them in, like you know, one of those, uh, one of those things you have in bars where it's just packets of peanuts. Yeah. But one of the ones, one of the ones from the nineties, where you where you took each bag off and it slowly revealed an image of a lady. Yeah. Oh man. Next door to it, a little sign that just says "Gents this way, ladies this way." <laughs> John Smith's cask in the back. Yeah. John oh, Smith's man. John Smith's Tetleys and bottles of uh, just bottles of re- uh, bottles of reef in a fridge. Hooch. <laughs> hey, lemon, don't, lemon don't knock hooch. They still make hooch. It's fucking delicious. Yeah, no, I, I love a hooch, mate. I love a hooch. Oh, I wish the I had in Bristol. Excuse me? The Fackler in Bristol. Oh, is that a pub? It's a bar, but it's a boat. It's a boat that's been turned into a music venue. Oh, nice. It's really cool. And I've seen a few bands there, like, you know, Therapy and the Choir Boys and stuff like that. But it gets hot, as you can imagine, because it's not a very big venue. And they sell mm. cans of hooch behind the bar. And oh. it might oh it's it's fantastic. Nothing like it. Oh damn shop shop now that sells it. Fuck. Oh well anyway, back to Doctor Who. Back to Doctor Who, yes. We did we did one that our minds would wander as we they did. slowly leak out oh. of our ears. I have got a shit ton of editing to do tonight, haven't I? <laughs> Just leave it in, I don't give a shit. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I mean this weird fight scene between the dark side of Omega's mind and John Pertwee. I mean, first of all, the first thing I notice is that the Doctor, you know, referencing wrestling here, he's got a pretty good arm drag, hasn't he? Yeah, he's doing all right. It's, yeah. it's like a combination, it's like sort of arm drags and not quite, it's um, sort of the variations, isn't it? Because one, one is doing a traditional one and then it's the, uh, what do they call it? Is it where they call it the Japanese arm drag where they flip over, like, yeah. directly over instead of to the side. But um, the same clip gets played a couple of times, doesn't it? It's like the same... <laughs> <laughs> basically, they basically they put together three moves and then they just played them on a loop for a little while before the weird pig-faced thingamy decides to mount John Pertwee from behind. It's like a, <laughs> it's like a John Cena match. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he, he tries to, effectively, again, wrestling terminology here, I suppose. He's effectively trying to choke out the Doctor when we go 
so that's it when we go off air with the episode. But what I, what, what I love about this is when it cuts back, so Omega gets the sort of the rear naked shoot. It's almost a Taz mission, actually. Yeah. Um, it's got that on non we? And it, it, it goes off saying, those who oppose the will of Omega shall not live. Oh, very dramatic. Mm. And then it cuts back and it does the recap, uh, sorry, for the next episode. And Pertwee's on the floor like he's Damien Mizdow, just like pretending to be trapped in this, in this <laughs> chokehold. And the expression on his face is just brilliant comedy. And, and this, is the, this is the thing as well. You say about he's, he's getting choked out. He's basically being killed. You've got that booming voice and you will not live and all the dramatics that you explain there. And then he stops just because Triton's there going, come on, mate, stop. Knock it on the head, will you? Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. He's had enough. He's had enough. He's all right. Yeah, yeah. He's not worth it, Tina. It's not <laughs> worth it. <laughs> oh, God. But then, but then uh, Pertwee gets up and describes it as an interesting demonstration. Mm. I think you just this, got your ass handed this, to you, mate. I think, was this after um, they'd said to Omega that, uh, oh, oh no, they'd broken out. I'm sorry, I'm getting confused and jumped ahead a little bit. Never mind me. Uh, but the humans are outside. They're all piling into Bessie, aren't they? Yes. And we get another recap of the of how Omega exists because of his will to control the singularity. And Troughton sums it up in the most gloriously Troughton way ever. All you have to do is think of something, rub your magic lamp over there and shallimigallimizu, there it is. That's jolly clever. Mm. It's like the opposite of wee woo beep boop. It's poop pee boo wee woo. <laughs> um, <laughs> the first thing he does is ask Omega to, to run him up a recorder and then gets huffy when he says no. Yeah. <laughs> and and Pertwee describes him as incorrigibly frivolous. <laughs> 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 the bickering again yeah. between the two. It's just so good, isn't it? It's, it's so funny, isn't it? Just because you're not musical. And then Omega just gets wound up and says, stop interrupting. But it makes everything sort of look like it's collapsing and everything wobbles on screen. Yeah. Not in a humorous, like, set-wobbling kind of way. It's a deliberate effect to show what happens when Omega's temper's tested. Yeah, because obviously he's... <laughs> he's the reason all of this exists. So when his emotions go up and down, it's, I suppose it's going to have a bit of an effect, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which was a real clever little thing. Cause you don't realize that's what's happening until Trout and out, out, blah, 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 outright says that's what's happening. Mm. No, that's what he's doing. That's why he's being a bit of a dick and, you know, being an, you know, being antagonizing and all that. And it's just really, really clever. Mm. Yeah. It's, I, mean, I suppose we've got a few things to touch upon, but it basically leads us to how they defeat Omega, I suppose. But before that happens, we have a scene where they're trying to remove Omega's mask. He's demanding that they remove this great big mask effort. To Ah, yeah, you've... Sorry, sorry to interrupt, but we've skipped one sort of crucial little bit here. Where okay. They surmise why Omega can't escape because they're saying, you know, he could say, he could send the creature, he can bring things back. Mm. So why why doesn't he have the power to leave? And it's because this place exists by the force of his will. Yes, including the beam. So to leave, he has to surrender control. But if he surrenders control, the place falls apart. 
And it's a perk we sums it up when I can find it in my notes. The, the moment you abandon control, you can't escape, but you can't escape without abandoning control. And he calls himself the Atlas of his world, which Atlas in Greek mythology was literally held the world on his back uh-huh. and held everything together and stopped it. I don't know what the, the whole story was, but I'm roughly aware of the uh, of the character. And he wants Troughton and Pertwee to take his place so he can escape. Yeah, and, that, and that's effectively the reasons for the, the the Time Lords being, or the Doctor, being summoned to where where they are. He wants them to act as his means of escape, as you said, Dan. And it's that thing of, we've kind of known what's going on and we've had a, a rough idea in our minds all the way through about what's happening. But this was quite, quite funny for me as well because it's episode four and we're getting the exact reason for what's happening. In the last episode of the four-part serial, we're now getting told the actual motivation for what is going on. Yeah, but it's been a nice sort of carrot that they've been dangling. It's been sort of quite, quite nicely speculated on, and then finally revealed. So mm. I didn't. I, I quite liked it. Quite liked doing it that way. Yeah, um, I mean, it didn't bother me either. I mean, normally we we spoke about it for a couple of different stories in the past, where we don't always know exactly what's going on until the end. And sometimes mm-hmm. that works really, really well. Uh, like with the uh, Peter Capaldi story that we covered. Yeah. Sometimes it doesn't work so well, like with some of the Colin Baker stuff we've covered. That's been a bit mm-hmm. messy and a bit all over the place. Here, I don't think it's, it, it's a fact of working well or not working well. Here, it's a case where it doesn't actually matter until we're told about it. Yeah. Because it seems like there's, it seems like we kind of know what's going on before finding out but what we find out isn't exactly what we were expecting, but it didn't matter because we kind of had different motivations in our head. Have I explained that properly? Yeah. It's, it's a confirm. It's a confirmation of what is actually going on when we've all essentially been given enough information to make an educated guess. Mm. Yeah. 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 But you're right. I do like the, this scene of lifting the mask that, that you're on about because they're saying that the, uh, the light stream that is conjured or, you know, been able to put together over so many millennia, uh, has a has a corrosive effect due to the acceleration of particles. So effectively, mm-hmm. this light beam is constantly bombarding you and eroding yeah. little bits. Um, and saying, so, you know, he's in, he's, they're in no immediate danger because they've only been here twenty minutes. You know, <laughs> it's not like yeah. they've been there millennia like he has. <laughs> um, but I'll let you, I'll, I'll let you go with the uh, the lifting of the mask because uh, you well, started on it. Yeah, I mean, it's got this flap on the front, hasn't it? That rather than take the whole mask off initially, it's got this flap on the front where you can sort of lift in, you know, have a look, right? Which which makes me think this guy has not lifted this flap on his mask for a long old time mm-hmm. because he's not noticed what's been going on. And we get the the flap gets lifted, and both the doctors sort of recoil in terror of like, oh my god, oh look at that sort of sort of a mm-hmm. sort of moment. And it sounds terrible, but it pops in my... All I can think of is, is Omega sat there looking at them going, what, have I got something in my teeth or... Yeah. <laughs> have I got a big zit or something? What's the problem? And they basically explain, yeah, you've been eroded away to nothing, mate. There's nothing left of you under that mask. To which Omega goes over to the mirror and lifts the mask off completely. And that, I thought, again, 50 years old television, that I thought looked fantastic because you basically had Omega's shoulders and his neckline. And then and the, the, and the helmet being held above. Yeah. 
and then nothing. And you could see the two doctors behind him in the gap where his head should have been. Yeah, I've noted that, that down cool. as well. That was cool. Oh, brilliant visual. Absolutely loved it. But then you get sort of the, you get a load of the different stages of grief in Omega within mm-hmm. a few seconds. Because he lets out this huge wail of pain, immediately goes into denial, goes on this big shouty ego trip about how everything only exists because of his will, and if he dis, you know, if he basically if he exists because of his will, then his will is to destroy. Yeah. And but amidst all this rant, Troughton points out that he can only exist here because it's only here that his will has any effect. Mm-hmm. So he couldn't go back to he couldn't go back to the regular universe, even if you you know even if he wanted to. But I mean, obviously the guy's a bit of a bastard. Let's let's not skirt around this. Omega, he's a bit of a dick, isn't he? For everything he's been doing. Well, but yeah, at the same but time, I kind of feel sorry for the guy. I do as well because he he wasn't evil when he left, no. or when he was when he was trapped. He was an engineer, and he had he made this great discovery. He was the victim of an accident, but the Time Lords didn't know enough to know that he'd be on the other side of the black hole. Mm. And he's lonely, so, oh, isn't he? Yeah, oh yeah, he's, he's lonely, he feels abandoned. There's there's no bad guy in this story. He's got really. a bar to run in this economy, that's hard work. Yeah, exactly, you know, it's <laughs> enough to turn anybody bitter. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, all, all his patrons are people he has to are essentially his imaginary friends. I see it, yeah. <laughs> but it's it's kind of weird in that when you break it down like that, there's no real bad guy in this story. Mm. There's there's an aggressor, which he certainly is, which I suppose you could say is a bad guy. Um, and actually, now that I think about it, he also kidnapped people. So yeah, maybe he's a bit of a twat. But, a bit of a dick, yeah. But there's there's logic behind that. You know, millennia of loneliness and. You know, after a few thousand years, you're probably going to get a bit mad about the whole situation. Yeah, I get that. Um, I mean, he effectively has a little tantrum now, doesn't he? He's decided that he's just going to destroy everything. Sod it, he's had enough. Omega, yeah. he's going to trash the place. Um, the Doctor has managed to escape. Everyone piles into the TARDIS. Um, we get Hartnell arriving again. And we get Mind Bollocks, all three Doctors this time. Yes, yeah, we get the uh, we get the... We get the three-way telepathic conference, um, but and this is all we've actually interspliced uh, sort of scenes on Gallifrey as well, where you see everything's at a very low level, all the lights are down, uh, the energy's all but out, and obviously they send, uh, you know, they send Hartnell in there, and throughout it all, the second Doctor is still just wanting his recorder. <laughs> you know, he stands there and says, "I could play, I could, if I had my recorder, I could play something that will pass the time," and in my head. All I added on to the end of that was timey wimey to help pass the timey wimey. I, I had full like John Hurt flashbacks to the 50th anniversary, <laughs> <laughs> and the brigadier just stands there and sort of rolls his eyes and says, "Thankful for small mercies." Yeah, um, I mean, to be fair, the recorder's not a great instrument, is it? It's a bit no. of a wanky instrument, you know. I, I remember my sister. I mean, and again, I suppose there's a lot of kids do this in junior school. They, they play the recorder and they get to buy their own recorders or bring their recorders home with them and so mm. on. So all you'd hear is like really squeaky, horrible renditions of three blind mice for days on end. It's, you know, it's a pretty crap instrument, let's be fair. Very true, yeah. But through this, um, through this sort of telepathic conference, they've got an idea. Um, Hartnell goes 
contact Gallifrey, let, lets them know there's a possible solution. Um, Brigadier wants a layman's terms explanation of what they're going to do with Omega. Um, the second Doctor finally finds his recorder in the force field and decides to use the record. And essentially, something's going to they're going to trick Omega somehow, and we're not yes. quite sure how. Um, they essentially give Omega an ultimatum, says that they'll stay and help him if they let everybody else go home. And that plays into the loneliness, doesn't it? Yeah. He's then he's then he's got friends, I guess, is one way of putting it. He's got he's got company anyway, maybe not friends, but he's got people around him. Yeah, exactly. He's saying, you know, he'll he'll let everybody go and he, maybe they don't have to take his place, but at least, you know, just stay with me because it's shit here. <laughs> <laughs> Again, no. It yeah, okay, it may be shit there, but that's your mind bar. That that's your antimatter lounge. You've made this place. So it's only shit because that's the way you've made it. Yeah, but he's had a few millennia to exhaust all his creativity. I suppose. You know, it's... Hmm, it's, you know, after, after a while, you're going to run out of ideas. No, it's about a million years, probably. Do you really think you've got you've got that many ideas? No, no, I mean, obviously, he's been there for... All right. After about 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> 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 when I've conjured up... You know, when I've conjured up, say, for example, Jenna Coleman, after five you, times. After, you, after, your first, after your first wank. <laughs> after that, I'm going to be a bit like, nah. well, I'm a bit oh, hungry, God. but that aside, you just, yeah. <laughs> anyway, back to the back to the story. Yeah. Um, all the humans go through the beam and all that, and the brigadier finally gets it. He says, goodbye, doctor. Oh, doctors. Mm. He finally caught. But I did like when he saw the third doctor and, and Joe confirmed that that's, that wasn't the Doctor as well. He just got, got three of them. I didn't know when I was well off. But <laughs> I now, I now realise that there's a nod to that in the 50th anniversary. Okay. When the uh, the commander of the uh, the Gallifreyan forces, he sees John Hurt, Tennant, uh, Tennant and Smith, and he says, dear God, three of them. And that oh, is right. kind of that same vein. I like to think that's a nod to this. Yeah. Um, and yeah, then it all, you know, all, the rest of them come in. Um, but yeah, it, it, you know, they're there now and they say, right, we've, and they tell Omega that they found a way for him to, a way for him to get home. And they bring out the, um, the cosmic ray detector box and the, the recorder sticking out the top. And, and it, looks, it, it looks so, so high tech, doesn't it? <laughs> well, Omega calls it, he says that, he says it's a childish contraption. And they put the tr- the constant say to him, take it, take it, take it. He's like, this is my world, and you pester me with trinkets. Mm. You know, giving it that, and he knocks the device out of two's hand. Uh, sorry, I've written in my notes, I've just referred to all the doctors as one, uh, one two, and three. Uh, out of tr- I did that as well. <laughs> he knocks it out of Trowan's hand, and, and they make a run for the TARDIS, and the black hole's completely devoured by light. Mm. And we see the power restore on Gallifrey. And I don't know about you, but I was sat there going, what the hell has just happened? What was that device? I, 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 had, not, got no idea. I had not tweaked. It, it was a mystery to me. Hmm. But this is where the antimatter plays in. Okay. So I don't know if you caught the um, if you caught the explanation for it. So every, basically, everybody pops back to where they should be. All the humans are back. The HQ's back. Uh, Mister Ollis is back where he left. Um, <laughs> That's brilliant. The giant Johnny's been cleared up. Which is which is nice for him. He doesn't have to deal with um, gargantuan semen. Yes. Um, so that gargantuan good. semen. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! <laughs> so 
and then the you know the the human the other humans are saying you know but speculating where the doctor is Joe's having a bit of a cry and the brigadier has sort of a tender moment just on his own you know they were both wonderful chaps mm. like wouldn't believe that to if you'd seen the rest of their interactions with him throughout the show nah. throughout this serial but anyway the TARDIS materializes you know they made it through by the skin of the teeth and they're saying that Omega Omega's will was the tension in the elastic once that will was broken everything snapped back into its proper place. And with, they explained to us that the recorder fell into the TARDIS force field. So when everything else was transported and made and, um, and sort of reconfigured to be able to exist in antimatter space, the recorder wasn't. The recorder was still made of matter. Right. So that's, yes. Okay. So as soon as the recorder got knocked out of his hands, the atoms and the antimatter atoms annihilated one another, flashing the whole world and Omega out of existence and somehow turning the black hole back into a supernova. All over a bloody recorder. Yeah, and you get uh, you get Trout saying it's a pity because the recorder had a lovely tone. <laughs> I can tell you now, Mr. Triton, it fucking did not. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, there's, regener- there's regenerations of the Doctor that like fish fingers and dipped in custard. Yeah. So there's, there's bound to be one of them that likes the sound of a recorder. Yeah, I suppose, I suppose. Yeah, and uh... that's... Um, we get the goodbyes then, really, don't we? And that is very much like okay, cheerio then, ta-la, and they're done. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> there's none of the uh, there's none of the uh, sort of sentimental uh, sentimentality of the fiftieth, you know, where no. there's, uh, where you get you know, so if I were you, or you know, congratulations and tenant revisiting his I don't want to go and all of that. It's just uh, you know, the first doctor's there. Well, getting the fuck out of here. Um, yeah, <laughs> although I do like I do like what he says. Given the way things have been going, I shudder to think what you'll do without me. And yeah. that's a really nice goodbye to the show. I think mm. for for Hartnell. Um, and I must say as well, I think um, I think David Bradley has done a hell of a job playing the First Doctor in modern times. Um, yes, I, I think he, he captures that really captures that really really well. And he, he did a very good job playing William Hartnell himself in. Uh, in sort of a uh, a dramatised documentary of um, yeah of, of the making of Doctor yeah, Who. That was very good. Yeah, um, and I like the way Troughton sort of signs off. He says it was so nice to meet me, and but uh, <laughs> just says he hopes they never meet again. <laughs> Joe Grant's there saying it's a pity he was so sweet. But just looks around and says I was, wasn't I? <laughs> there was so much of that, and I quite liked it. And Benton gets one last moment where he looks sort of smarter than the Brigadier, saying, you know, Brigadier's ordering a full inventory, and Benton says, if anything's missing, where do we say it's gone? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What do they do? And the Brigadier can't know. answer him, can they? They're just like, yeah, yeah. He's, oh, just come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and uh, oh, uh, Dr. Um, I've just written his name as Dr. T. I can't remember his name now. Uh, Tyler. Dr. Tyler's there, and he's saying, oh, thanks for the trip, and it's like, You've all been through some mad shit and nearly died. And I said, oh, well, thank you for the trip. I won't be writing up in the journal, though, as I want to keep my job. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And it is also very much like just, okay, cheerio. Oh, lovely seeing you. Bye-bye. And that's that. It's just so... <laughs> blown, up, blown up a universe, killed a hero. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, man. But at least we get a moment of introspection from, from Pertwee. I quite like that, where he's, he's visibly perturbed and a bit upset. And he's saying that he offered... It wasn't that he had to lie to Omega. He offered him the only freedom he could, yep. which was the freedom of death. Yeah. Which is pretty dark when you think about it's it. It's quite deep, isn't it? 
Yeah, I mean they've just blown up, they've just blown up a universe with a recorder, which sounds stupid. But <laughs> they've had to destroy a Time Lord hero, a legend. Mm. And you can understand then why 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 the doctor needed that moment just to sort of try and take stock. Yeah. yeah. And then it all goes and then it all goes completely the other way. The doctor gets a new dematerialization circuit and the time lords return his knowledge of the dematerialization codes and time travel law. There's a line there as well by Pertwee that is so straightforward, so simple, but delivered it's delivered so calmly, but it meant so much. He literally just goes, The Time Lords have forgiven me. Yeah. And it was just it was just absolutely dripping with emotion, but delivered so so to the point and you know, it's just really well done. Yeah, he has that. It's a moment of you can pick up relief, pride, happiness mm. in just the way he says it. It's that kind of quiet. They've forgiven me. Yeah, and he's also thinking, "Fucking finally!" Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, I've done enough. Come on, lads, bloody hell! You yeah, know? Jesus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's kind of it, mate, isn't it? That's that's it. The music oh, at the end of the. Uh... Oh, hang on, oh, no, Mister Alice oh, gets yeah. the last laugh. This is great. He was walking up in his welly boots with his gun. He's been gone for a few days. The wife's giving him the business. She's giving him a bollocking, saying, you know, where have you been? There's been soldiers out searching for you. And, you know, all the questions you'd, you know, you'd have and, and probably rant and rave about going out of your mind with worry. Yeah, yeah. And he just looks at her in a, in a very 70s fashion. You'd never believe me, woman. It's super ready. Yeah. Fucking hell, Alice. <laughs> 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 Oh, so good, man! So good. It, yeah, it's. I'm really glad we uh, we did this special because, like I said, I'd forgotten so much of this. I'm, well, I mean, that's 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 what we sort of get to next, I guess. We we want to kind of summarise our thoughts on this, Dan. I mean, uh, four parts, fifty years old, couple of different doctors in there. What are your thoughts in general about this four part serial? It's a joy. It really is. It's an absolute joy. Um, the do- the the doctors all react, uh, all interact well together, even though they are obviously just reacting to Han on screen. The, the the bickering and and the way the chemistry that they have together is fantastic. Um, Joe Grant and Benton are absolutely brilliant as uh, sort of sidekicks in this. They've both got moments where they absolutely sort of you know take charge of everything and and, and are actually useful. The Brigadier's fantastic comic relief, but even then he was trying to you know even then he was trying to mount a rescue effort. And things like that. So you know, there the was a point to him. Um, Omega was uh, sort of a well-fleshed-out villain, and the the fact they've used actual scientific theory, you know, to, to get to where they are and, and how that whole place exists and, and bits and pieces like that, and the, the antimatter stuff. Yeah, I really, really like it. Not to not to give too much of a spoiler, but if we do a wrap-up episode like we did for season one, I can see this ranking fairly highly. Okay, interesting. I enjoyed it that much. Mm. Couple of bits a bit ropey, but it's the seventies. Yeah. yeah, exactly, and that's that's the that's the only the negatives I could really bring to it, and it's not fair to really use them as negatives because it's fifty year old television. The, the the sort of blisteroid monsters, the the blobby, bubbly, horrible, nasty villains, <laughs> they don't look great, uh, and so on. The the red blobby thing that appears like Commodore sixteen graphics and starts eating the world and all that. Again, doesn't look great, but it's fifty-year-old TV. 
you need yeah. to be able to look past this. And I, I say it all the time on the show, the biggest thing for me, especially with a classic who is you need to look past some of the shortcomings of that era and focus on the story itself. And this story is brilliant. This is a great story uh, with everything you need, you know, comedy, uh, the, the end where you, you almost feel for the doctor because of the act he's had to do to, to give Omega this freedom and so on that, that you explained Dan with regards to the only freedom he could have was obviously, you know, death and so on. It's brilliant. I think it's absolutely fantastic. It's a real shame Hartnell wasn't involved more. Obviously, the yeah. reasons are, are out of his hands, of course. But his moments on screen really meant something as well. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I enjoyed it, mate. It was, it was fantastic. Really good stuff. Yeah, well, it's, it's just a lot of fun. Mm. At, the end of the, at the end of the day, you can read into all the dark stuff, you know, like I have done. And, but at the end of the day, you just whack it on. It's four-parter. It's not going to take up too much of your time. Um, I actually viewed it on DVDs and then they'd cut it together like a movie. Okay. Brilliant. And it's it's the same for the Five Doctors as well. They, they, on, on the DVD, they don't have the breaks in between the episodes. They just cut it together like a movie. Right. And okay. when you actually watch it as a movie, I think it's I think it's better than watching it as a four-parter. Right. I don't know why, but... It, it works either way, but yeah, I'm, I'm really glad we covered it, and um, I'm very much looking forward to talking the Five Doctors later on. Yes, me too. However, that is not for next week. What are we looking at next week, Dan? Because it's your well, pick, I believe. It is next week. It is my pick, and I wanted to sort of get away from the uh, the first three Doctors. Obviously, we've had you know we've had Pertwee's solo adventure, and now we've had the first three Doctors all together. Mm-hmm. So I want to go to. 1984. I want to go to Peter Davison. And I was doing a bit of research, because obviously I know bugger all about these serials, to be quite honest. So I was intrigued to find out that Davison was sort of, I think, really the first Doctor to be given two-parters. He had one one two-parter per serial, and a lot of them weren't very well received, to be quite honest because it felt like they weren't given enough time to sort of pad the story out or, you know, flesh the characters and the worlds out, which I thought was a bit odd because one thing that, you know, thing that we've seen with an episode like Blink, that was 45, 50 minutes. Mm-hmm. A two-parter in this era will be 45 to 50 minutes. Yes. So I want to see how one of these two-parters stand up. And I've deliberately not gone for the one that was called the worst of the two-parters or anything like that. I want to go for the one that is regarded as the best. So I want to go to 1984, as I said, and The Awakening. Okay. I'm not sure if I've seen that. Yeah, it's, um, it, like I said, in the list I found, it's described as the best of Davidson's two-part stories. Uh, let me just go through here. Having a tale with a developed beginning, middle, and end isn't something that's easy to do in just 50 minutes. So it's to, it's to write to Eric Pringle's credit that he does better than most. Huh. And I don't want to read too much else because it might give uh, might give stuff away. No, fair enough, mate. Like I said, I, I'm not sure I've seen that. The name doesn't ring a bell. It may be one of those that I press play on and go, oh, yeah, I remember. But right now, I, I'm not sure I know a great deal of it. But Peter Davidson, I always enjoy Davidson. So, yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, I thought just that was something a bit different where we go for something that isn't quite as um, as critically acclaimed. A bit like a bit like my pick with Happiness Patrol, really. Mm. Um 
I just hope it. Uh, I just hope it goes as well as uh, as Happiness Patrol. Obviously, I doubt it'll be that wacky and weird. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was kind of trying to avoid, um, you know, avoid Daleks and Cybermen and and, yes. and the more sort of traditional villains. At least I don't think they're in this one. I'm, uh, I'm not hundred percent sure. Okay, fair enough then. So there we go. Next week, The Awakening with Peter Davidson. Yeah, looking forward to it, bud. Uh, before we depart this week, though, do you want to let everybody know whereabouts they can find you online and all the great shows and content you're involved in, my friend? Yeah, you can find the sentient, pu- sentient puddle that is my existence on Twitter at DanGriffin21, uh, usually tweeting about wrestling that's six weeks out of date on movies and TV that are 25 years out of date. You can hear me on Unbooking the Territory uh, with my partner in podcasting, Pissheadery, UTT, Rob, uh, where we discuss the first and last of wrestling. And you can also hear us both on Unbooking the Tankatory, which is the side project, which is very much taking on a life of its own, uh, charting the life and times, the uh, the trials and tribulations of the in-ring career of Tank Abbott. At time of recording, we are in very much embedded in the Russo and Bischoff era of uh, of WCW 2000. And believe me when I tell you, it's a lot better than history gives it credit for. So we're having a blast doing that at the minute. Come along, give it a listen, we'll have a laugh. And uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's me and my project. Awesome stuff, mate. Awesome stuff. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at SJP Words and the group on Facebook that you need is SJP, all the shows and info. But rather than give you the usual spiel of all the shows I'm involved in, Nitro Nights and uh, The Waiting Room and all the rest of it there as well, chain wrestling and so on, what is needed now is for people to go and follow the new network Twitter handle, and that's at SJP World Media. And what you will find there is, on the main feed, new episodes of all the shows that are on SJP World Media will drop there. So this will appear on that feed, as will all the episodes of Chain Wrestling, uh, In the Corner with Benny Mack, RSH, when we start getting their shows on there, all the way from the States. A few other shows still coming in the next few weeks as well. All the shows are going to be on there. Now, if you want to go and look at the back catalogue of any of these shows, they all have their own individual streams as well, their own individual channels. So you will be able to search for The Doctor Who Pod on, say, for example, will you will use Spotify as an example. Search for The Doctor Who Pod on Spotify. You'll probably come up with two examples. One will be the latest episode that appears on the main SJP World Media channel. And then the Doctor Who Pod channel itself has all of our previous episodes on there. So you can go back and listen to that without having to sort of keep skipping episodes or other shows that you may not have that interest in. That's the idea behind it anyway. Hopefully it works simply enough for people to, to enjoy. But yes, at SJP Words for me, at SJP World Media for the network and all the shows I'm involved in, as well as numerous other people as well. But most importantly, you can find this show on Facebook and Twitter at the Doctor Who Pod. And that's at the D-R-W-H-O-P-O-D, at the Doctor Who Pod. And that is it for this week, mate. I'm looking forward to a bit of Peter Davidson next week, Dan. It's going to be good. Yep, so am I. In the meantime, I'm going to go see if, see if I can find a way to lay my fridge on its side and sit in it like a hammock. <laughs> Lovely stuff. If that does have, if that does occur, we want pictures. <laughs> Yo, there, there will be. I'll have, I'll have one ass in the fridge and one, uh, one ass cheek in the fridge and one ass cheek in the freezer. You have to keep rotating, though, because otherwise you get one cold butt cheek to come to the other. One cold, one frozen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Just must make sure not to roll over onto my front. 
Yeah, exactly, mate. Nobody wants that. Um, okay, no worries. Uh, brilliant, Dan. I always love doing this show with you. It's always funny. And, and the sidetracks we get on crack me up, man. Um, our heat-melted minds can now take a bit of a break because we are effectively done. So, Dan, thanks again, buddy. And to everybody else, as always, thank you for listening. <laughs> well, I did. I would. I was gonna. My plan yesterday was to watch all the the whole thing, but I just like I got back after walking the dog. I watched the second episode and I thought, "No, oh, fuck this! I'm going down the garden and getting pissed." Yeah, <laughs> I'll do it in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> so we went to um, uh, Toby Carvery for lunch today because mm. um, it was supposed to be my, well, it was supposed to be for my lad's nineteenth which was a couple of weeks ago, but my grandparents, the ones who normally take him all out for something to eat. And mm. the, sorry, not my, not my, his grandparents, sorry, so Charles' parents, yeah, yeah. And they both had COVID. So this is the first oh, weekend man. we've done it. So in this heat as well, man, went down to the um, Toby Carvery and a big fuck off roast, got back home and I just didn't want to move. Just led on the bed. I was like, uh, yeah. So I've got my notes made. But I was in a sort of semi-food coma when I rewatched it to make notes. So we'll, we'll see how we get on. <laughs> Sleepy, sweaty, dozy, boozy. What are the other three dwarves? <laughs> I'm all of them. <laughs> <laughs>
when you when you get the fish out the out the fridge the first time, they are like quite floppy and that. A frozen dead fish then. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, to be fair, I know exactly how pliable they are because I've been smacked in the head with a salmon before now. So there we go. Mm. That was when I worked retail, and one of my mates decided to dick about. Um, it was a fun Slapped time. Slapped in the mush with a dead fish. Yeah, my life is a comedy joke. It, it's, it's just <laughs> a comedy of errors and, and bullshit. I've, I've been hit in the face with a dead fish. I've slipped on a banana skin, and I have had the shit scared out of me. Quite literally. Yes. I was. I, I fell asleep on the toilet drunk, and the uh, the seat started to shift, which which shocked me awake. And let's just say I was sat in the right place. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, I've anyway. really progressed a little bit. Anyway, um, <laughs> poop. <laughs> uh, the, the doctor uses their mind bollocks to open the door of the cell. <laughs> <laughs> I've just got an, if if they're the mind bollocks does that mean that when they add the first doctor in that he's the mind shaft yes exactly that's exactly what it is <laughs> one great throbbing mind dick My, <laughs> that does sound like a Doctor Who villain doesn't it the throbbing mind dick <laughs> you can imagine that being a story from the 60s or something the throbbing mind dick <laughs> but it's actually it's actually a bloke called Richard with a really big brain that pulsates yeah add <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. throbbing mind dick to the band list yeah there we go that's getting noted now, mate that's getting noted now. <laughs> anyway um... <laughs> we've had poop we've had penises where will we go next <laughs> That's the slogan for Omega's bar, isn't it? <laughs> That's what's on the sign outside. Can you imagine if either of us had that power? Just to like manifest anything. So like, yeah. It, it, I'd be dead in a week. Yeah. <laughs> well, you wouldn't yourself to survive. Uh, so, yeah. It's, it just it just reminds me of did you ever watch two pints of lager and a packet of crisps? Yeah. It's like, I think they asked like Johnny or Gaz. If they could have one thing in the world, what would it be? And then, for some reason, Gaz just goes, a, a giant set of tits full of beer. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, fuck's sake. That's yeah. that's the level me and you would stoop to, I think. I reckon, mate. I reckon. I'd also have a glittery, you know, lounge bar like Omega as well. I'd, I'd make the... I'd make a real life-size version of the bar Afterlife from Mass Effect 2. That'll, mean, that'll only mean anything to about three people who listen to this regularly. I've got no idea what that is. Yeah, it's fine. You don't need to know. Okie doke. Shall we get back to Doctor Who then? <laughs> oh, is that what we're doing? <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> oh, oh. Okay. Um, anyway, yeah, um, uh, the twat blobs and, and mind nightclubs and, <laughs> uh, and Joe. Brain penises. Brain penises. <laughs> <laughs> 